If I could only read your mind with superhuman power, life would be a breeze sometimes. The good stuffs in between the lines, my thoughts and my feelings. Still tell a thousand lies, but now you're taking. Hello and welcome to the Good Stuff in Between podcast. I'm Sean Milne. In this series, we go behind the scenes of the music business, searching out advice, creativity, and stories from all of those helping make it happen. In this first episode, I was really pleased to get to meet Naomi Hollis founder of Eventgrads, but maybe more familiar to many of you for outstanding work helping keep vessels such as Belladrum, Hebkelt, The Reeling and many more running smoothly. She talks quite candidly about how it all started, some of the challenges of the industry, but also the real opportunities and inspiration she's been able to draw from it, and some advice of her own, where it goes next, and all the good stuff in between. Thanks very much for meeting me, how are you? Alright, I'm good, how's things? I'm good, I'm good. good. Great Edinburgh evening here. Yes, looking out over the skyline. Your career's fairly well documented already, but for people who don't know, can you explain to us what it is you do and for this year, how your summer is shaping up? Yes, so my name is Naomi. I uh, originally from Inverness in the Highlands of Scotland, uh, currently based in Edinburgh. My full title, I suppose, what I go with at the moment is Festival Coordinator at Belladrum Tartan Heart Festival. But I'm also the founder of a community group called Eventgrads, which is a support network for event management students and graduates like myself uh, back in 2019 graduating in the pandemic. So that's a very brief overview of my role and what I do. So take us back to the start then, you, you hail from the Highlands, yes. Inverness, you're at school, life choices, wondering what's going on, so how did it all come about, you know, where did that spark of creativity, entrepreneurship come from? Well, if you ask anyone, uh, it was not there while I was in school, it was, uh, it was definitely developed later, but while I was at um, school I was one of these people that had no idea what they wanted to do, had no plans for the future, could not picture myself in any working role. I'd, really struggled with figuring out what it was that I wanted to do. But looking back, it's funny because I was an events prefect at school, so I can see how events have, have kind of made its way into my life. Um, but when I was at school, I made sure to take a lot of subjects in different areas because even though I didn't know what I wanted to do in school, I knew it was important to almost have many different fingers and many different pies and kind of figure out, uh, figure out as I go along. So. When I left school, um, I started working part-time at Inverness Cali Thistle. Wow. I was in hospitality and events, actually. Uh, I started going to college for a while to do sport, thinking that was the route I wanted to go down. It wasn't really working. But while I was at Cali, I was doing um, hospitality. So again, there's another, another stage of events, which was interesting. But I was also a gymnast at Inverness Gymnastic Club which actually was what got me into events. So I volunteered at the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow in 2014. And that sold me not only on the event industry, but also on uh, Glasgow. So that very next summer, 2015, I moved to Glasgow, started studying events, event management in college, and then went into university. So it was a very interesting route. Uh, I was older when I was at college. I'm not quite a mature student, but definitely older than the rest of the people in my class. 
um, but I just completely thrived and it was a completely different environment from my school days and what education, what I thought education was and then doing what I then found out that I loved um, and I ended up graduating from college with an A and university with a first class. And here you are, a few years later on now. Um, festivals in particular seems to be at the heart of what you do now. You mentioned the Belladrum, you know, but there's been so many for you. We, we yes. talked earlier on about the Real Line, Sky Live, the Gathering, mm -hmm. Celtic Connection, Spell with DF Concerts, you know, the, the Summer Sessions, Transmit. Is there any festival you haven't done? <laughs> there's actually, yes, there's many. I, I was starting to wonder if there was many left in Scotland for me to kind of uh, dabble in, but it's, I'd really like to get involved in those other island festivals. So uh, we're both big fans of Hebkilt, um, and it was the first festival I ever worked on. It what got me into the event industry was at the festival in June was Hebkilt. But I'd love to try EDF, Tyree, and maybe do a, a bit of an island hop of the island festivals and get kind of um, acquainted with those smaller island, rural, Scottish festivals. Um, the community aspect of these festivals is amazing. So other than that, most of the festivals I have been involved in. <laughs> so going back to Hebkill then, what was that leap of faith that took you there? I mean, how did that come about? How, how can other people do that sort of thing? Absolutely. So funnily enough, when I started doing event management, it wasn't, I, the two things I knew I didn't want to do was festivals and weddings. Uh, and then I ended up doing weddings and then I went into festivals. So what got me into Hebkelt was, my mum is from the Isle of Lewis, so she is from the west side. So I did, I was a wee bit biased. Um, and I thought, when I, when I was younger, a lot of people I knew went to Hebkelt and I, I never got the chance. I was always busy on those those dates. So, how you know, I was trying to figure out how can I get be a part of this festival, but also get the most out of it and get experience from it. So I applied to volunteer at Hebkel and then I emailed Caroline, the then director of Hebkel and said, look, I'm studying events, can I shadow you while I'm there? I think the role I got that year was merchandising assistant, I think if I'm correct. But I was like, how can I make the most of this? How can I shadow the director? How can I get the event management experience? Um, and Caroline got back to me and gave me the role of artist liaison and that is what I've done for the last, I think this may be my sixth year. So what is an artist liaison? What's involved in that? What kind of things do you do? So at Hebkel, it's very different from anywhere else that I've ever experienced. At Hebkel, you are with that band from the minute they arrive on the island, you are looking after them, you're taking them to their hotel, you're organising their transport, you're making sure they're aware of the times of their sets, where they need to be, where the stage is, where the, um, where the festival is, where those kind of key areas within Stornoway are. Um, you're giving them a pack that has a lot of information from their passes, their dinner reservations, whether they're getting snack vouchers, their riders, that kind of thing, you're looking after them from the minute they arrive and it's not just one artist, you've got maybe three to four a day, maybe six to nine over the weekend, so you are have a lot of people to think about, a lot of phone numbers, a lot of chasing up, but it's the most rewarding experience to be that heavily involved in, in that aspect of the festival. So it sounds really intense as well, a full of responsibility. What makes it work? Oh gosh, a lot of teamwork and a lot of WhatsApp group chats. No, uh, the people, at Headkill in particular, um, the people and the bands are amazing. You know, Hebkilt for a lot of them is a dream experience. They've wanted to do it for a very long period of time. They know that the festival is really, really special and they all contribute to that. And it is really that, it's the teamwork, the kindness, and uh, that kind of lovely community spirit around, around um, Hebkilt that really makes it. And it just it just works. They know what to expect a lot of the time. It's a small festival. <laughs> they, know, they don't have high demands, um, but they just really invest in it and it's wonderful. 
So we've got that to look forward to this summer then. Yes. You're also doing Belladrome, and that's a, a real main role for you yes. to, to be taking on as a huge amount of responsibility. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So um, I started in this role as festival coordinator in November last year. Uh, it's a full-time role. It, co it covers a lot. Uh, it's a very small team, so um, I'm doing a lot of the marketing, sponsorship, uh, traders, accessibility, inquiries, which takes up a lot of time. We're very, uh, we're very friendly as well, so you know we, we want to make the most of, um, make sure that people are getting the most out of their experience with Velodrome, even if it's just an, an email. So uh, that takes up a lot of my time. Um, we've also got a lot of, you know, um, meetings with council, local residents. So. Everything but the music is is my kind of side of things at Belladrum. And it's a fantastic lineup as well. Who, who is playing this year? Oh, well, you've got Travis, a good old uh, Scottish, uh, you know what you're getting, which is fantastic. Hopefully it doesn't rain. There, there we are. Um, so we've got Bastille, we've got Sigrid. Uh, these are our three headliners this year, which is, you know, covers a, a big audience, a lot of, a very different kind of audience for each for each artist. We've got Kiefer Sutherland from 24, Lost Boys. So the, he's going to be a big hit. He's got a, his country, uh, his country album come out, so that's amazing. Um, Punk Rock Factory, which is uh, punk rock covers of musicals and Disney songs, which matches our, our theme this year of cartoons very well. And a, a favourite of mine is Pale Waves. I'd recommend checking them out. And it's not just music either. No. Belladrum is primarily a family-friendly arts and music festival, so we have got entertainment of all types. We've got wrestling, fashion shows, we've got spoken word, we've got street performances. Um, it's a little bit of everything. If weird, wacky, wonderful, if that's what you're looking for, that's what you're, you're likely going to get. So I'm going to be a first timer at Belladrum this yes. year. Really looking forward to it. If you were to give me one bit of advice as to what to do when I'm there, what would that be? Explore. The festival has a lot to discover. You know, the main stages have a lot to offer, but exploring, we've got the Wooded Dell down by VIP. Um, it's got this stage like um, Trailer Trash, which is Americana, that's that type of music. We've got the Walled Garden, which is full of um, entertainment, uh, alternative hell. We've got Come and Tries, um, Century Areas. There's, there's a lot to discover and a lot of nooks and crannies at Belladrum. So I'd make the most of your first day, make sure to explore it all so you don't miss out on the cool stuff. And the amazing thing about this is you're doing it just having finished the reeling as well. Yes. First year of the reeling? First year of the reeling. How did it go? It was fantastic. The vibes were absolutely immaculate and I, I that's the best way to describe describe what it was. For a first year, you could tell the quality of the production, the quality of the artists, a lot of them being Glasgow based themselves, obviously absolutely thriving off the atmosphere um, and the customers. Like, when you were walking around, people were dancing in bare feet. They were sitting on their uh, picnic blankets. They had chairs. It was just a really lovely family day with the best kind of music that evokes, you know, all those emotions and those traditional music. Um, and you know, you got bands like Blazing Fiddles, Talis, Scary Boy, absolutely kicking it off, and it was just amazing. They could hear it from Moss Park, so that's saying something. <laughs> so apart from you being a unifying figure in all of this, the community and the volunteers all helped bring that together. Which takes me back to event grads. Yes. What gave you the idea for that? How did it evolve and, and where is it at now? So event grads started in June 2020. I had just graduated as I was saying and had moved home to Inverness with my parents which you know after university is the last thing you want to do. So I'd moved home uh, reluctantly, I was unemployed and I was just trying to find as much as I could to keep gaining experience, whether it was resources, you know, I was doing all these free courses, any free 
resource I could find I was doing. I think I started learning Gaelic at some point as well. I was doing everything I could. Um, and it got to the point where I was reaching out on LinkedIn and I just wasn't getting anything back. I think somebody replied to me saying, how about an admin course? And I was like, no, I, I don't think that's going to get me a job outside of um, COVID, unfortunately. So I started a group and it was primarily to begin with just my people that I knew that were in the event industry and my university course, my college course, my lecturers, and I brought them all together as a Facebook group and said, look, I really recommend these courses. Does anyone else recommend it? Is anyone else doing anything that like I could do? I just really, you know, what more could we be learning right now in this period of time of, of stillness? It just kicked off, really. It was. It goes to show that, that the demand and need was there to, to collect, as a collective of event management students and graduates or industry newcomers who were new to the industry and the industry was just wasn't there. We weren't able to get the help of you know, senior event professionals because they were having to go through their own issues and troubles during that period. Like that was a, that was a tough period. The last thing they had time for at that, at that time, at that start of the COVID, was to support uh, newcomers when there wasn't really an industry to come into. So it continued to grow and I put my all into it. It was my full-time job for about six months uh, while I was unemployed. I was doing webinars, I was sharing all the resources I could, I was doing introductions, I was making friends. We had every Friday Event Grads Cafe, which was um, an hour time just chatting and everyone brought their pets and like, you know, some of these people that were part of Event Grads and went to Event Grads Cafe now live together in London, work together, I've got jobs off the back of Event Grads from these connections and it's just, it's the most amazing community and it was, it's still thriving today. It's a little bit slower as everyone's gone into now these full-time jobs, but it's still a core hub for event students and graduates and industry newcomers to find jobs, make connections and uh, continue learning. And how did that help you in terms of where you've worked elsewhere, the yep. opportunities it's given, speaker events, conferences, all these different kind of opportunities? So I, I feel, well, before event grads, to me personally, I couldn't find anything else like it on the on the on the in, on the sphere. I, w I was looking everywhere, and I just couldn't. So I was almost seen as a face for that um, generation, that kind of um, cohort of, of new next generation event professionals. So um, a lot of people came to me asking for either advice. You know, they were coming to me for access to this group of people for whether it was jobs or whether it was um, you know they were wanting to improve their own newcomer experience in their in their place of work things like that so for a while I was almost seen as, as a bit of a face for the next generation kind of pushing that and championing that and just raising awareness to the fact that we'd almost been missed during this period of time uh, so off the back of that I started doing podcasts I was talking to event professionals I was um, trying to encourage organizations to you know, provide well, good opportunities, uh, well-paid opportunities, um, good quality opportunities, uh, you know, getting off the back of unpaid internships that unfortunately our industry kind of rely on. And with, with that and, and kind of, I suppose, voicing my concerns or voicing my opinions um, and starting those conversations or getting involved in these conversations with these top professionals, um, a lot of people saw me as, as a face for that for a while and that allowed me to have these speaking opportunities and hopefully it made a, made a difference but off the back of that since then I've been very lucky to continue speaking at these opportunities. As I was, I was saying I was in Germany at IMEX recently moderating the Future Leaders Forum which was just a surreal experience with people from all over the world, uh, young you know, event professionals. So yeah, it's, it's been a whirlwind. I, looking back, at, if I hadn't you know, made that one small step, I don't know where I'd be now. So it's also this debate that's been ongoing about 
know, doing voluntary work, doing internships against paid work. But it's also the opportunities that they bring as well. Yeah. Where, where do you kind of stand on that? And is that, is that a, a conversation that comes up often? Yes, it's probably one of our biggest conversations actually about um, that entry into the industry. The, the, there is not a set way to enter the event industry, unfortunately. There's not, um, you can enter from any different route, which is great in some ways and not so great in others. And volunteering is a tough one. I'm, if I wouldn't be where I am now if it wasn't for volunteering, I love volunteering, I volunteer because I want to. I'm, I'm in a very lucky position that I can volunteer. Um, if it wasn't for the support of my parents, I would never have been able to do what I did. Um, I, I did a six-month placement with a, a music promoter and I couldn't have done that if it wasn't for the support of my parents and not everyone can do that. So I have to understand that that's a very privileged position. I can't expect others to be able to do that. So it is, it is from conversations off the back of event grads and off the back of um, COVID, the industry has spoken up about how the event industry to be um, accessible and inclusive, you know, needs to look at volunteering very differently and cannot rely on unpaid internships and cannot force volunteering as that route into the industry just because someone else did that does not mean everyone can do that so um, there's now you know um, university schemes like reach which is um, aimed at those who are maybe uh, from disadvantaged backgrounds or uh, needs more support than maybe others to get that first steps into industry and can get those jobs without the demand of volunteering but it's tough because you get like the Commonwealth Games, for example, and it's, it's, it's career changing to volunteer at these opportunities. But again, it's very much, it depends on the individual, what they can do. The industry shouldn't rely on it, I think, personally. But without it, um, a lot of experiences wouldn't be possible. So I personally, I'm a big fan, but only if you want to rather than having to. I think that's the difference. So having done that then, how would you say it's informed your life choices and opportunities that you've either found or have come your way as a, a result of it? Off the back of volunteering at Headcount initially, um, for example, I actually met my now boss at Belladrum at that first year of Headcount. So volunteering has propelled my career completely and I continue to do it today. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I actually find sometimes volunteering, uh, I prefer volunteering roles and paid roles sometimes. The responsibility is different and you know you're there because you want to it's a very it makes you feel very different and you know when you're taking part what does it mean to you now having done the volunteering having furthered your career when you look back yeah. what, what do you think you know in terms of that journey you've made and perhaps how you felt people in their journeys as well I do believe volunteering is a huge and very important part of someone's career journey what you learn through these experiences can then be translated into your future job, your day-to-day, -day, the people you meet. It's just the most amazing, it's very rewarding volunteering um, is what I found and it's something I wouldn't want to lose out on because of a, a paid work experience but again it's it's, tough. it's changed my narrative on it when I communicate with others for example, um, when I'm communicating with through event grads and even through my uh, my current jobs, I'm you know hiring people or looking to get people involved. And people are coming to me looking for experience, volunteering experience. And because of those experiences that I've had in the past, I now know what a good experience is versus a bad experience. And I hope that that's something I can you know support them with, so they're not having to go through the the things that I maybe had to go through. What, what, while sort, of th what sort of things? I suppose it's just volunteering can be very tough financially. Um, it can be. The people you're working with, you know, there's a difference between, I suppose, volunteering and unpaid internships, and it's the unpaid internships which 
is the difficult, it's the illegal one really, it's the difficult one and people can take advantage of you, especially if you're early on in your career and you feel like that's going to be, you need this to get to that next step, you know a lot of um, organisations even now, uh, there's volunteering schemes in festivals that you have to pay to get to volunteer a deposit which I, you know you, you kind of understand you know you need to put a deposit down to prove that you're going to be there and you know that you'll turn up and you, you understand it festivals can be difficult in that respect if you're wanting to enjoy it at the same time but for this next generation coming into industry why as an industry that wants to be professionalized why are we relying on not paying and underpaying and unpaying this next generation when we should be mentoring championing supporting and providing the training that you know, there's a lot of conversation around um, uh, lack of staff and lack of uh, people in the industry, or we lost a lot of people in the industry during lockdown. Um, so to then, you know, un underpay this next generation rather than um, contributing to their careers is an interesting and discussion. He and here's the amazing thing now, though, is having done those hard miles, having learned from all that, you are in the position, and perhaps some of the people you've supported are also in the position to change that because you're helping run festivals, you're, you're influencing the decision makers and you're keeping an eye on people who are coming through. Yeah. That, that must make you feel quite proud I'd imagine. It's very rewarding. I, I do get, um, you know when you get a message from someone that you either supported directly or indirectly who get in touch and are so grateful and so thankful for you and I know that there's those people in my career and I know how grateful I am for them so to be that person to people it's just, oh, it's amazing. And the industry deserves these amazing people in this next generation. And then, you know, it's it's surreal, really, to, to be just a part of their journey and to continue being a part of their journey. And in the future, you know, that support will come in hand. Like, you'll be able to support each other for many years to come. And I think that's a very exciting future for the events industry. So what was the turning point for you then? What was that kind of helping hand or that leap of faith that, you know, brought you to that next stage of that path, you know, the, so yeah, this is definitely what I want to do, this is how I'm going to do it, and maybe somebody who was of more influence than, than others, is, is there anyone that sticks out, any one moment that sticks out for you? Well, that's tough. I suppose, without chatting about lockdown too much, a lot of people went online for a while, and the industry almost became more accessible. Everything was a bit more less exclusive uh, because people had time to support and mentor and inform. But so, you know, we connected with people from all over the UK, all over the world that we never would have connected with otherwise. But I'm very lucky to have a lot of mentors in my life from that first Hebkilt with Caroline. Uh, Caroline, Jane, Manny, and uh, Graham over at Hebkilt are just the most amazing group and have, you know, as I mentioned was the first festival I ever did and if it wasn't for them they put me forward for my um, job at Celtic Connections which made me go freelance which was the biggest change and biggest and best decision I ever made in my life and if it wasn't for them in that first experience I wouldn't I genuinely don't know what I would be doing with my life and that jump to freelancing alongside event grads are the two things that propelled my career fully. If somebody's thinking about freelancing following your path if you will What's the kind of best advice you'd, you'd offer them? Because when Celtic Connections, massive international festival, you spoke to me before we started doing this about being down in the Leeds. Yes. And uh, some of the experiences there you can maybe share. Yeah. And you know, to the position you're in now with Belgium and everything else. Well, not everybody has the experience or the 
the, the gumption to, to go and do that without without having somebody to ask. Yeah. So, you know, what's important, what's not? Yeah, it's going freelance and making that jump and that decision can be so difficult. And you might not realise it, but you've probably been freelancing without having a title on it for a very long period of time. All those, you know, uh, volunteering experiences or uh, short-term contracts or these things that you did outside of work that were the equivalent of freelance. You, you know, you've, there's a portfolio that you even realise and there's a portfolio before you've done it in many ways. Um, and I think the biggest jump, I suppose, with freelancing is that financial fear. You're not having that steady income. You're having to go out and pitch to clients. You're having to um, sell yourself. You're having to deal with periods of time where there's not much happening and like, right, what do I do now? Like, for example, if, if in the niche that I'm in, it's very seasonal. So things like Celtic Connections, knowing that's around, finding out what is on and what's available in the periods of time that festivals aren't on or aren't busy is quite another thing you have to think about. You know, like you might have to dive into another type of event or um, hospitality, for example, for a short period of time. But LinkedIn was a lifesaver for me. I, I do think a lot of people went freelance quite similar times to me, which was very handy. Um, LinkedIn is a very good place for the industry, I feel personally, for reaching out and asking advice and, and people being able to answer. But, you know, majority of people that are on LinkedIn, or myself included, we love supporting other people and are happy to, you know, provide this is what I did, this is what I wouldn't recommend and having those conversations with people that reach out. I do think reaching out to people is, is one of the first things to do. People that are in that position that you want to be in, get in touch and look, how did you get to where you are now? And having those conversations is is key in getting that, you know, that's another contact for another day. But that, that's really daunting for some people. It is daunting. Especially approaching a, either somebody who's a stranger, yes. who's in a, a position of influence and power. True. Not, not everybody's going to think straight away, no. oh, I'm just going to you know, get in touch with whoever's in charge of DF or yeah. the Hep Kilt Vessel. But you did. What, oh what inspired you to do that? Do you know what? That is actually... <laughs> I don't want to say... I'm, do you know what? I don't think I was ever that person to begin with. I wasn't naturally a go-getter, uh, especially if you ask my parents. Um, I suppose I could see what I wanted and I'd had those first couple of experiences. Like, I suppose even, even reaching out to Caroline that first time, I have no idea where that came from, that burst of energy. I'd, you do have to just think about it, I suppose. Take a step back, figure out where it is you want to go, what's holding you back, and just jump at it. The worst they can say, as they say, the worst they can say is no. Half the time, if there's no opportunity that year, they'll be enough. They'll think of you in the future just for that, for that gumption, for that putting yourself forward. Um, there's a lot of respect in that, and people hold that to you. Um, and the event industry, unfortunately, is a very, it's very much like that. It's, it's a people place. It's they say, you know, it's who you know, which. In, in some cases it can be and it's very, you have to put yourself forward, but it's fun and do you know what, what from, from that first person that I ever reached out to, from going freelance for all these things, it, it can be so daunting but if I hadn't done that and you have to think of it that way, the worst someone can say to you asking for experience, asking for advice, the worst they can say is no, but you can never predict or comprehend the experiences that will come off the back of that. I, the experiences I've had as freelancing, I could not have imagined, I couldn't have predicted. Um, I, I was talking beforehand about Leeds and I, I was event control manager at Leeds and Latitude last year, which is an insane amount of responsibility and an insane role, like the, the peak of my career kind of role. I never in a million years imagined I could get that kind of opportunity until someone said, hey, look, we're looking for a, 
an event control logger, we're looking for an event control manager, do you fancy it? And the first thing you think is, well, I'm not ready for that, or, you know, that's a bit nerve-wracking. <laughs> I don't know if I can... It's, it's scary, it's so nerve-wracking, but if they've got the faith in you and they're the professionals, do it. You'll find that a lot of the industry in the, is winging it. <laughs> you have to just throw yourself into these things and hope for the best, but strategically, don't just wing it and do nothing. You know, wing it with an idea in mind, uh, be a bit tactical, learn as much as you can before you go into it, talk to as many people as you can, ask as many questions as you can, work as hard as you can, then you're going to be absolutely thriving. So I've got two questions off the back of that. One okay. is, has anyone ever said no to you? And if so, how did you handle that? There's been a couple of rules that either I didn't get the exact role that I was looking for or wanted or thought that I could do, whether it's been full or whether I've not had the experience. And there's been, especially when I was in university, you know, there's a lot of pressure while you're at university to have that dream job off the back of university, whether it's um, before or as you graduate. And it can knock you, can really knock you sideways because, you know, you think, and you've prepared and you think you've got the experience and you think you would absolutely thrive in it. And you, you know, you prepare yourself for that and you can picture your future and you start, you know, and it can be so tough to continue. And I think without, again, thinking about lockdown too much, that period was so disheartening for so many people. Like, we were applying for jobs that we were 10 times experienced for and getting rejections, you know, because whether they were, you know, hiring people that they knew or whether they were hiring people that were like 10 times experienced in roles that they, you know, that were 10 times underpaid, it was so disheartening. And it, to continue was so, like, even just thinking about it, isn't it crazy that we went through that period? Like, sometimes you think about those emotions and you, you forget that you even, it's so hard to remember being in that period, but those knockbacks, there's, well, there's the phrase, and I put it as my phrase of the year last year. It's not rejection, it's redirection, and progress, not perfection. Those are the two phrases I think that kind of got me through any time, because what's for you won't go by you. And it's not until you look back years and years later that you look back and you see where the route was taking you when at that time it might have felt like the worst thing on earth or it might have felt like you had no, you know, what you really wanted wasn't happening, but it, it does take time and you look back on it and you realize that the path was leading you to where you should be. And that was a bit deep. <laughs> and it's exactly that though, it takes you from that the crushing woe of what am I going to do, how am I going to get out of this, what's life got for me, to then becoming event controller, yeah. at least. <laughs> you talked about how nerve-wracking that was, how it's been apogee of your career so far. What exactly was involved in that role? What made it so nerve-wracking and what have you learned and taken from having done that? Event control uh, has many different names. It's, uh, it can be Joint Agency Control Centre, Event Control, uh, Joint Organisation Control Centre, uh, Event Liaison Team, there's many names and at an event or a festival event control is where a lot of the decisions are made a little bit further away from what the main happenings of, of an event of a festival. So it leads, for example, it's a tent in the, in the background and we've got our CCTV screens, we're monitoring, we're logging the radio incidents, uh, you know, whether everything from gates are green, you let everyone know that, you know, arena's open, gates open, to um, the worst things that can imagine happening at a festival. Um, and it's things from evictions, counter-terrorism, uh, Leeds wasn't so bad, but there's like there's Coast Guard at some, there's traffic management, security, local residents, liaison, uh, the council. 
all these multi-agencies and parties that are involved in the decision making of if something happened making sure there's a room where all the big decision makers are in one place so that decision can be made quickly and efficiently and my role is basically to to manage that space make sure everyone's uh, comfortable everything's logged and this is really heavyweight stuff heavy. Leeds is a big fest 90,000 people you're yeah, 90,000 yeah. people and you're in charge of the safety making sure everything's in place in case anything goes wrong yes. and that everything goes right how do you begin to compute that? Oh gosh, it's, it's very interesting. So I had a very, I was very lucky in my experiences when um, with working with Transmit and um, Bella Houston gigs in the past where I was able to witness and shadow and experience what a very well organised and functioning event control can be. And we learnt from the best, I was very lucky. So to then go into Leads and Latitude, I had an expectation, I had an understanding. But I was still so fearful because, you know, I have no police experience, let's be honest. I have army experience and these are the kind of people that are often leading these kind of these kind of rooms. But from my previous experiences leading up to there, you know, I know how to manage a radio. I know how to talk to people. I know what other people's roles are and what they are. You know, I'm not taking away from anyone else's roles. They're the experts and I'm learning from them, I'm taking information from them, I'm liaising between them all. So I'm taking from other experiences into this one and it, it, it is very daunting and you're working with very, um, very professional people in very difficult environments but you know as long as you are kind, you're, um, you are concentrating, <laughs> you, are, um, you, know, have the, you have the right attitude at the right times then you're absolutely fine and you know there, there's time for laughter in these places as well which is which is good um, but there's time to be incredibly serious as well. From all these experiences is there a moment that sticks out for you that you feel most proud of or you're like ah oh, I've got this? I suppose there's two um, or three maybe actually which is um, but for for event control, for example, when I did originally before Leeds that, that last year when I was volunteering, I was lucky to go from a role of event logging at one event to event control managing at Latitude to then be almost promoted to event control managing at Leeds from a different role. They saw how I worked and were very impressed and wanted me back in that role for Leeds. And I think that was a really career-defining moment because I didn't feel like I did anything different. I wasn't I didn't feel like I was, you know, doing anything particularly, not that I didn't feel like I was doing anything particularly well, but I was just doing the job that I knew and doing it to the best of my abilities. And they saw that and they appreciated that. And I think that was really um, solidified it to me that this is what I want to be doing and this is what I'm naturally quite good at, which is hilarious looking back to when I was in school. And if anyone ever asked me what I wanted to do in the future, who knows what event control is at 17, you know? So um, yeah, really career defining and off the back of that, event grads and this job with Belladrum are my other two kind of have made it you know and and all your event planning when you're doing the podcast did you make sure you had an area that was quiet <laughs> the music was turned down there wasn't loads of people talking just like this because I'm sure half an hour ago this was really quiet it was quiet and so we started talking we did the best we could uh, we're in a to be fair very nice location I don't know about you but I work better in cafe environments <laughs> How about your sort of favourite band or artist that you've been lucky enough to be dealing with out of these vessels? Oh gosh, I suppose with events such as The Gathering, The Reeling and Hebkel, they are very similar uh, artists, genre. 
Um, so I'm very lucky to have made very, very good friends with the artists that, you know, the Scottish traditional artists. Um, I just love going back to them. It feels like home. It doesn't feel like a job. You're with your pals. Looking after them is funny. Um, I hope he listens to this, but uh, one of the boys that I work with at Velodrum is also in a band and is the most demanding person that I've had to deal with and it's because I know him the best and that's what happens. Um, but that's Coro, that's Sean Cousins, I'm talking to you. But um, they, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a family that's got a traditional music scene um, and they really look after one another, they're all pals. So it, it's amazing working with them, but I suppose, I wonder if there's anyone else. No, I don't think, I, I've not worked with directly my favourite bands, unfortunately. I've met them when I worked at a hotel, but I've not actually worked with them on an artist's perspective yet, so maybe that's the goal. Maybe next year. Maybe next year, 1975, that's it. What's the most bizarre request you've had to deal with? Ha, yes, this is a favourite one. I bring this up often. I bring this up when you talk about events and you're trying to sell events as an industry or festivals as a sector, you know, and you're trying to describe to people that aren't in the industry. And it's funny because the best part of your day, the best part of your job is never the actual job. It's the weird things you have to do to just get the job done and to get the gates open. So um, before opening the gates at one event in 20, when would it have been? It was post-COVID, so it would have been 2022. Um, what we would call an ankle breaker, uh, uh, basically a big hole in the ground that would, in a crowd, someone would break an ankle, at least a leg and ankle. Um, doors were opening in five minutes, down the radio, Naomi, get some sand and get to that hole. And I was like, okay, what is going on? Running about the place trying to find some sand. We had no sand, I found a cigarette bucket tanked it over to this area in the middle of the crowd, gates were opening in two minutes, and I hand, like, filled this hole with cigarette, <laughs> like sand, sand, and just did it with my hands, and then, like, the gates opened, people were coming in, and I was like, wah! But it was just so funny, like, it's just so, like, the weird, like, to be fair, that's probably not selling the industry very well, but it's those dramatic kind of, you have to just get something done and get it now, and you use what you've got, and you've, you know, it's probably not, that's probably not the weirdest thing I've had. There was no ankle breaks. There was no ankle breaks, no ankle breaks. Job medical done. Yeah, I did a great job. You know, it, yeah, weird and wonderful things that you have to do just to get the, get the job done and get the gates open and get everyone safe and happy. And that was probably the most recent one. <laughs> what was the, the music of your youth? And do you still carry that with you now? Interestingly enough, we were in a very musical household, I suppose, in many ways, and I grew up uh, through a very kind of scene kids, punk rock phase, uh, which I do suppose that I carry on now. You know, you've got your 90s and noughties pop punk, punk rock music, um, and even now, you know, to see these bands live, to be able to Busted, for example, like Busted are coming back. I just can't believe it. That was very much my music of my youth. But that or Scottish traditional music was very much. So, some quick questions. Yes. Last song or podcast you listened to before this recording? 1975. Oh my goodness, what song? Settle Down. Would you choose an exclusive album launch or a festival? Festival. Your favourite food and rider? Oh, that I would choose? Oh my goodness. What is my favourite food? Macaroni and cheese. <laughs> I don't know if that's ever been on a rider. 
if you could collaborate with anyone alive or dead on a project, who or what would it be? There is a woman called Priya Parker who's dedicated to um, the art of gathering, it's called. So it's very much the science behind um, bringing people together. And she is a conflict resolution woman. She's amazing. Uh, so I would definitely 100% get her involved in something. Restaurant cinema or Lazy Sunday brunch? Oh, I'm a cinema gal. Last film you saw? Spider-Man. Digital addict or can you switch off? I, I am a, I can switch off. I have become the opposite of addicted to my phone. I kind of resent it in many ways, so I switch off. But I do read on my phone, so that's maybe a bad. Yeah. What does life look like after your career? Oh gosh, traveling. I didn't get the chance to travel outside of university, so once I've got to that stage in my career where I've got the opportunity, you will find me in Australia. <laughs> One artist everyone should be listening to right now. 1975. Every oh, day, always. I true. Okay, let me think of someone else. It's so bad, isn't it? This is a... I'm going to be disappointed in myself if I can't think of... That's it. If your life's about 1975, that's fine. I know. I feel like I should be spotifying right now. Katie Griggs and McLeod. Oh! We're just going to have to go 1975. That's fine. That's good. And from where you started to now, what was the good stuff in between? Great question. It was the graft, the people, the exhaustion. That was so worth it. You know it's going to be a good, a good experience and you know it's worth it once you feel it in your bones. Everything, even the hard stuff, it's, it's worth it. It's the good stuff. And if you could give one piece of advice to anybody trying to get into the business, be it doing some of the jobs you do, be it the festivals, be it just the, the whole idea of it, what would it be? Don't hold yourself back from opportunities with the fear of not jumping at them. Jump at any and every opportunity you get the, opportunity, you get the chance to do and make the absolute most of it, even if it's not what you expected, you know, that's gonna, it's gonna carry you forward and you never know the experiences. You never know the opportunities and experiences you're gonna get off the back of something you've said yes to, or something you've jumped at. Um, you can't even imagine what what that looks like and looking back, you'll be very, very, very glad you, you did it. So jump at any and all opportunities and don't hold yourself back. Norman Hollis, thank you very much indeed. Thank it's you. been great. Thank you very much, this is wonderful. Disconnected from the power. This was a good stuff in between podcast with me, Sean Milne. Massive, massive thanks to Naomi for being so generous with her time, honest in her answers, and offering so much great advice and inspiration. Our show three music is Nothing's Going to Bring Me Down, courtesy of Willie Campbell. You can find out more at willycampbell.co.uk and looking forward to Willie joining us as a guest in the coming weeks. You can follow us at The Good Stuff In Between on Instagram and on LinkedIn. If you want to be involved, drop us a line. The show is written, edited and produced by myself at Scoop Media Associates. Watch out for our next episode, dropping wherever you get your podcasts soon. Nothing's gonna bring me down No thinking about the
the past while we're building for tomorrow Nothing's gonna bring me down Nothing's gonna bring me down No thinking about